As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest listener questions episode. Today we're discussing the size of a penalty box, a CONCACAF all-star team, soccer players doing other sports and much, much more. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who's roughly the right age to be a Man City fullback. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> Hello. Uh, maybe not quite the fitness required, although based on the final minutes of that game, maybe I have the same level of fitness as Fernandinho. Who knows? Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Only one way to find out, I guess. Hey, what are you doing next Wednesday? I, I, starting for Man City in the Champions League, I don't see what could possibly go wrong. It would be entertaining, if nothing else. It certainly would. I'd watch it. That's for sure. <laughs> also joining us, Taylor, a man who's taking time out from running the Kareem Benzema fan club, Graham Ruthven. Uh, I am, but Karim Benzema has done some things in his, his past that uh, maybe I'll just gloss over in that fan club. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good goal scorer. He's a good goal scorer. Yep. Goal scoring, extorting <laughs> teammates. He does it all. Uh, <laughs> rounding out our pack, a man who answers your questions <laughs> like Kevin De Bruyne scores diving headers emphatically. Joe Lowry. Hello. Oh. Wow. So, Ryan, first of all, you're already going to be watching that UCL uh, semifinal between Real Madrid and Manchester City. We would all watch it that much harder, though, Taylor. Just know that if you were to play right back for City. And, Graham, I think that's a good call and maybe slightly distancing yourself from the role of the, the president of the, of the Kareem Benzema fan club. Yeah. Either way, Ryan, I'll take my introduction. Thank you very much. You are very I, I, welcome. I, I, uh, I'm unsure of what Karim Benzema might ask me to do as one of his closest, uh, confidants. Mm. So, yeah, not, not, <laughs> distance myself from him, I think. Let's move on very quickly. <laughs> Guys, did you see on, uh, on the interwebs, Crystal Palace, uh, they had a big debate. They did a video where they were debating whether ketchup goes in the fridge or the cupboard. I'm going to go around the, uh, the, um, the, the horn here and judge you accordingly. Joe, fridge or cupboard, ketchup. Fridge. Taylor? Taylor? Uh, opened or not yet opened ketchup? You can, you can specify. Uh, opened fridge, not opened pantry. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Ooh, pantry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say cupboard. <laughs> uh, so hang on. Open bottle of ketchup goes in the cupboard, Graham. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cold here. This is why Scotland can't have nice things. You failed the test, Graham. I mean, if anything, this is why Graham is sick all the time. <laughs> That's what I'm learning. It doesn't refrigerate food, uh, especially perishable items. Things go the way they go. Graham, I don't know a whole lot about Scotland. Has that sort of technology reached you guys yet or no? <laughs> Fridges, no. We just leave everything outside in okay. boxes. And then take it in the morning. Joe's was better. <laughs> we put our ketchup in a cool, wet sack. <laughs> 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 wonderful stuff well i was i was amazed a lot of um crystal palace players went with cupboard as well graham which i think is uh kind of absurd but here you are here we are wow. here we are such is i fun. mean ketchup doesn't last long in our house it's not staying there for years maybe i would draw the line there but yeah it's okay. fine in was the it, cupboard was it palace recently who did the doors versus wheels or whatever it was 
Are there more wheels or doors? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Is that just? Are they just asking random questions to their team what? now? Is this some level of training that we didn't know existed before? I'll tell you who's not doing the catch-up debate: Tottenham, because Antonio Conte would not tolerate that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No cupboards, no fridges, no, not in the house at all. And they just stored in the trash. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I thought I'd get that out of the way. I think I deflected from Karen Benzema fan club beautifully. There. Why don't we get to uh, the listener questions, though? That's what we're here for, right? Kenneth Sidon says, "Can you think of any player?" whose careers could have been significantly more successful if they'd only found the right club situation or been given more of a chance. Taylor, um, when I first heard this question, I don't know if this is a wonderful example, but I thought of Danny Drinkwater, who Mm. left title-winning Leicester for Chelsea, played 12 games, went on a series of loans, got injured, had some troubles and some car crashes, and is now at Reading in the Championship. Yeah, that, that's that's a good shout. I mean, some of that was a little bit self-inflicted and mm. had to do with the <laughs> off-field behavior as much as on-field. Uh, two that came to mind for me, uh, the first would be Josie Altidore, who makes that move to Villarreal at a fairly young age. But He's I think my list too. Hey, we go, Graham. We can go back and forth on this one then. Um, because I think maybe Villarreal bring him in expecting him to be a certain type of player, and he is not that type of player, but also maybe doesn't have the technical ability that is required. So he ends up getting all these loan moves, doesn't really find much success until he moves to AZ, and that is when he has his most successful time in Europe is when he's playing for a team that sort of play to his skill set, that utilize him effectively. And so I, I do wonder what had happened if instead of going to Villarreal, if there had been, if the, uh, the Red Bull setup had existed, if he goes to Salzburg, does he kind of get built into a squad and, and learn how to play within that system and then evolve from there? If he had moved to AZ at, at the very beginning of his career, given that the Netherlands have, I think, harsher immigration laws, it means they're going to put more time into him because he is there. You could only have limited numbers of foreign players. So we're going to develop this guy. And I just wonder if maybe there had been more emphasis on developing him uh, for who, for the player he was, as opposed to the player that people thought he was, I do wonder if he has a more successful club career in Europe. Excellent. That's, I like that nomination a lot, Taylor. Did you say he had one other as well? I do. I just wanted to pause to see if Graham had anything else to add about Josie Altador. I don't want to hog the Altador spotlight. <laughs> Go no, ahead, I, I, I agree with everything there. And also just the fact that Sunderland is Sunderland and they destroy yeah. uh, footballers' careers. So he, after um, scoring 23 goals in 33 games for AZ, he goes to Sunderland. He scores once in 31 games his first season then there. And then his second season, zero goals in 11 games. And he, and from there, he kind of becomes a bit of a, uh, a joke figure, unfortunately, despite the fact, as I say, Sunderland is a place where many careers have gone to die. And he returns to, to MLS probably before his time. And had he gone somewhere slightly more suited and also just a better environment than Sunderland at that time, then he probably has three, four more years left in, left in him in, in, in Europe. But um, Sunderland was just such a disaster for him. Uh, and then it becomes a big old what-if scenario because there's always the arguments that he puts on uh, like muscle mass when he moves back to Europe or adds more muscle, but then does that play into the hamstring issues? So if he's staying at a club where they're utilizing him the right way, maybe he stays fitter, maybe he doesn't have the injury in 2014, and then we have an actual number nine at the World Cup. It kind of You can keep going down the sliding door uh, butterfly effect uh, rabbit hole if you want to. Uh, Taylor, Graham mentioned there uh, Sunderland being a club that ruins players' careers. That made me think mm-hmm. of another club that's a little closer to your heart. And uh, what about Paul Pogba? Could he have been not also on my list? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had him like initially on my list. The thing I struggle with is he moves from Manchester United. He has a ton of success with Juve. Um, and I, like, I, I don't really want to annoy Juve fans, but I, I think there are like fairly simplistic arguments you could make about the success he has there. And so moving back to Man United, it sort of feels like that was never going to really work for him. But I also struggle to think of a club that would have gone particularly well for him, that would have kind of been able to utilize his particular skill set, but keep him motivated and playing effective football, aside from just staying at Juve. And maybe that would have been the answer. Okay. I th- there's probably a lot of Man United players we could have this debate with Taylor. Who was the other person yeah. you were going to bring up? Uh, another X-Man United player. Uh, because I think so many of these are players that just made the move too soon or maybe made one ill-advised move. 
You've got a lot of those throughout football history. You could say Andrei Shevchenko is one. You could say Kaká is one. But we know those guys. They had massive careers. So I don't think that quite fits the question. Uh, the other two nominees I had were Mario Götze, who I think maybe yeah. like when he leaves Dortmund is is at the kind of high point, scoring the World Cup winner, is this important player, goes to Bayern, and is no longer that much of an important player. And maybe he stays at Dortmund or goes somewhere where he's a bit more valued. Uh, like He feels like a player who would have done pretty well for Pep, but then again, he may have played under Pep at Bayern, so that could be wrong. Um, but the other Man United player I had was Memphis, Memphis Depay. If he goes to, say, Real Madrid instead of Manchester United when he ma- makes that first move there, I-, I think it's probably a better fit for him over the course of his career, because that seems like a club where you have different managers at different points, obviously, but looking at them now, it, it feels like a Carlo Ancelotti. Like, go out there and and play your game the best you can, do the things that you're best at, and go get that result. And I feel like Memphis Depay is a player who shines when given the freedom to kind of play the game he wants. When you put him in a rigid system, I don't think it works as well. So Memphis to Madrid instead of Manchester United is one that had me thinking. I like it. I also had Goethe on my list as well. That's a good nomination, Taylor. Uh, Joseph, what are you thinking? So I thought a little outside the box, or at least what I think is outside the box here. My first one is Jamie Vardy, who I know already had a really successful career winning a Premier League trophy, playing for England. But he moved up from the fifth division. I think a lot of people know this story. He moved up from, from the real lower tiers of England to the championship with Leicester City in 2012 at age 25. And in the two seasons before that move in 2012, he scored a combined 50 goals at multiple different lower league levels in England in the couple of years there. So I, I just wonder what would have happened if he would have made the move earlier, right? We see him playing for Leicester. We see him playing for England a few years ago, and you can see the quality player that he is. You can see his skill set so good at moving in behind. I wonder what would have happened to Jamie Vardy in his career. And I don't think you would ask for a whole lot more, but what would have happened if he'd made some sort of move earlier? How much more could he have impacted soccer in England and, and how much more could he have done? So that's my first one. My second one is Freddie Adu. He was born, but <laughs> broke into DC United at age 14, played for a bunch oh. of teams, more than 10 teams since then. And I think he got plenty of chances at club level and go, go listen to Grant Wall's podcast series that he did about Freddie Adu. It is fantastic. I think, though, with Freddie Adu, it may be as less of a club situation that needed to be different and more just a generation change, right? I think with Freddie Adu, he might have been just one generation of player too early. I think maybe he didn't need a new club. He didn't need to move to another country besides Portugal or besides France or you know all the other places he was in Europe. Maybe instead he needed to be around today or five years ago, 10 years ago, instead of almost 20 years ago now when maybe the U.S. soccer landscape wasn't fully able to handle someone like Freddie Adu with his star power and his story at such a young age. So Vardy and Adu, I think I thought a little outside the bun there, but I think those two players Mm. could have had very different and better careers in different ways, certainly, than they did if the situations around them had been slightly different. Joe, I like the idea that Freddie Adu was ahead of his time, like um, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future playing Johnny B. Good at the uh, school dance. Your kids are going to love this. Yeah, <laughs> Your kids are going to love Freddie Adu. <laughs> Graham, what do you got? So, uh, Altador Pogba had Ad- Adnan Yanezai, uh, whose career kind of flatlines after. I was I was seriously, it's one of the biggest, uh, the, the worst predictions I have made is that Adnan, Adnan Yanezai was going to be a superstar for the next 10 years. Um, he goes to Dortmund on loan, doesn't get a chance there. He then goes to ding, 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 Sunderland, that name again, hmm. um, uh-huh. and kind of flatlines his career, flatlines. And he's actually a decent, he's, he's a good player for Real Sostad now. And I just feel like if his career hadn't had that three, three, four year spell where things were going wrong at Manchester United, had, um, Ferguson been around to kind of bring him through, maybe he'd, if he'd been brought through at Man United five years earlier, maybe he's a key player for Man United still. So he was, he was unfortunate in a number of different ways, both at the club he came through at and the clubs that he moved to. And then another suggestion would be Francis Jeffers. So Francis Jeffers uh, broke through as a teenager at Everton and he has reasonable success there for three seasons. Um, he scores six Premier League goals three seasons in a row. 
moves to Arsenal and at Arsenal he was just a complete misfit and he was signed to be something slightly different he was nicknamed Fox in the Box Wenger wanted him to be a bit of a poacher for Arsenal but of course their team just wasn't built for that at all and his career completely disintegrated there's a lot a lot of players in this list that we've mentioned who have had decent careers and unfortunately Jeffers just wasn't one of them at all because he uh, after joining Arsenal he never scored more than four league goals in a single season for the rest of his career he goes to Charlton he goes to Rangers I remember him there he was dreadful he goes to Blackburn, then Ipswich, then Sheffield Wednesday, then Newcastle Jets in Australia, then Motherwell in Scotland, then uh, Floriana in Malta, and then finally Accrington Stanley, where he retires in his early 30s. And to be completely frank, he was he, it didn't matter what level he went to, he was a failure for every team he went to. So um, Arsene Wenger made a lot of players' careers over the course of his, his time at Arsenal, but in the case of, of Jeffers, I think Arsenal contributed to his collapse. Oh dear. Uh, Graham, I'm going to throw a couple of one-club men names at you. I want your opinion on these as well. Matt Letizia, who spent his entire career at Southampton, who I believe Sir Alex Ferguson wanted to sign several times, but stayed with relatively lowly Southampton, with all due respect to Southampton fans listening, before he's turned into a crazy Mm. person. That was just according to the media. Yeah, exactly. We don't even know if he really played, do we? We can't trust yep. the media. Um, and uh, I'll say it quietly, Graham, because I'm in Rome right now, but Francesco Totti, <laughs> who... I always, I always remember rumours about Totti going to Real Madrid. That mm. always felt like that was going to happen at some point, and then, it, and then it never did. Antonio Cassano got that move instead. Um, when they didn't, they weren't able to get Totti. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's as much as Totti as a legend of Rome and, and Roma as a club, it, it would have been fun to see him at somewhere like Real Madrid for a season or two. He would have certainly got a little more silverware, I would suggest. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Kenneth, for that question. Let's go to Shreyas Romani, who asks, what are MLS Next and MLS Next Pro? And what will they do for US soccer in the long run? This one feels like it's got Joe Lowry written all over it. But if you'll <laughs> indulge me, Joe, I'll just give some top line uh, explanation of what the two divisions are. Um, MLS Next is the top youth soccer league in the USA. It was launched in 2020 during the pandemic. It was actually launched while I was working with Charlotte FC. So I kind of saw its evolution firsthand and have been at many MLS Next games actually as well. Um, it replaced the USDA, the US Soccer Development Academy. So it's basically the youth, the top level uh, youth um, league in the United States, from under-13s all the way up to under-19s. And at last count, I believe it's 133 clubs across six conferences, and that comprises MLS youth, um, USL youth, and uh, the major youth academies across the fair land of the United States. So that's MLS Next. MLS Next Pro is essentially the MLS Reserve Team League. It was only launched this season. There's 21 teams coming, and there's, uh, sorry, 21 teams this year, and several more coming next year as it builds up. What is kind of related to MLS Next in that it's part of the pro player pathway that MLS and US Soccer want to promote. So you, it's, it's another step. So you go MLS Next in theory, then to MLS Next Pro, then to MLS is kind of the path they see for many young players. Joe, did I do it right? You did a great job, Ryan. I'm, su- I'm surprised you didn't dig at the MLS Next Pro font, so I'm going to do that instead. The font <laughs> that MLS Next Pro developed for their branding, it's on the back of their jerseys for the player names, it's in their logo, it's in all of their branding. It is dreadful. It is so, so bad, and I wonder if the same <laughs> folks who developed the MLS Next Pro branding were in charge of the MLS's back tournament. Very uh, impressive names for both of those. But oh, anyway, MLS, Ryan, Joe? Yeah, I, I guess. Good gracious. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, I think you, you laid out the groundwork there beautifully. A, a key distinction, you already mentioned this, but with the name MLS Next, so we're going back to the academy here and the, the, the youth soccer league that is MLS Next, just to be extra clear, and you said it, it's not just MLS clubs competing in MLS Next. So they basically just took over the, the developmental responsibility, the top-level responsibility of developing the best soccer players in the country. They took it from U.S. soccer after U.S. soccer closed the DA, apparently due to financial issues uh, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. U.S. soccer went away. MLS now controls that league, but it is not just MLS teams. There's a whole bunch of teams. In fact, the non-MLS teams competing in MLS next far outnumber the MLS teams. So I think that is one thing that maybe confuses folks by the name, um, but all that the name signifies is that it is owned and operated by MLS. And this ultimately, as far as what it does for U.S. soccer, or really soccer in the United States, I think is probably what Treyas is getting at here. 
it gives MLS more control over youth development. And Ryan, what you mentioned at the end there, that youth development pathway as well, that path to pro from MLS Next to MLS Next Pro, which is a third division league. So it's MLS is the top tier. This is a closed system, so there's not really any sort of pyramid. But MLS is on top. USL Championship is is number two. And then you're looking at USL League One and MLS Next Pro on that third division platform. You can theoretically move, and we're going to start seeing players do that eventually, from MLS Next to MLS Next Pro to MLS, which I, I think is a good thing, right? I, I wish the system was more open. I wish there was more movement, and I wish there was an ability for clubs to move up. And it probably isn't the best thing necessarily that MLS controls all of this. But I, I will say there is a ton of value in adding in a bunch more professional soccer teams. And that's what MLS Next Pro has done. Yes, a lot of them are affiliates, all but one of the teams of the 21 teams competing in MLS Next Pro are affiliates of MLS teams. So you're looking at like Portland Timbers too, and you're looking at all of those kinds of teams. They're, you know, they're back, right? They're involved now. And I think that's a good thing in general, adding more investment and adding more attention to soccer in the U.S. I think is only a good thing. So I I don't know if it's the best thing for MLS to control all of this stuff. I know there are people out there that are going to absolutely hate that. I'm certainly not there. Either way, there's going to be some entity controlling things, and MLS is doing that job at this point. And I don't know that we've seen the full fruits of it yet. It's only you know very early on in this whole experiment. But I, I do think this has the potential, MLS Next to MLS Next Pro to MLS, has the potential to help facilitate youth development, and that's the point of this whole darn thing. I, I wouldn't say I, I hate that MLS controls this ecosystem, but it is certainly... To me, as a relative outsider, it is strange to me that MLS is, is controlling this rather than US soccer, because to me, the duty of a, a national federation is to control this sort of stuff. It's actually, if you, if you ask me, a national federation, this is their bread and butter. Yes, you've got the national teams, but if you look at the majority of staff and infrastructure that's at, you know, the Scottish FA or the, the English FA, a lot of it has to do with youth development. So I do kind of question what is U.S. soccer's purpose in this if MLS is kind of taking control of all I'll, this. Um, I'll note, Graham, that U.S. soccer and USDA has, how do I put this politely, never been uh, renowned for its organizational skills. And okay. So, they're, so they're, and, and MLS Next, when it came in and as it has come in, has done a very good job in the circumstances it came in with, with launching in a pandemic when there wasn't much travel between teams, for example. So mm. um, it does look on the surface like a rebranding exercise in some ways, but I think it does have use. But I, do, I, um, I understand your, your, your concerns there because it does seem like they maybe should be separate entities. I don't know. Interesting. Any more, Joe? Yeah. We good? I don't. I don't think so, unless Taylor has anything else to add. I think we're good. No, Taylor's over here just enjoying this conversation. Good stuff, fellas. Boom. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And, uh, of course, Charlotte FC, too, joining MLS, Pro, MLS Next Pro next season. Will Joe Lowry predict them bottom of the league? <laughs> we shall find out. He's never going to let this Just go. for you, Ryan. Just for you, I will. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, folks. When we're back, plenty more listener questions. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions episode. Tyrone Nagai has written in asking or saying, I listened to the Soccer 101 episode about international versus club managers. Thank you very much, Tyrone. Available on the Soccer 101 feed. It made me think about interim managers, says Tyrone. Who are the most successful interim managers and what did they accomplish? Taylor, when I think of interim managers doing accomplishments, I go immediately to Roberto Di Matteo, who was Andre Villas-Boas' yeah. assistant at Chelsea, 
uh, AVB was fired in March 2012. Di Matteo became caretaker. He gone done won some silverware, the FA Cup and the small matter of the 2012 Champions League as well, Taylor. Yeah, Chelsea going to feature prominently on this list. And yeah. everything you said about Roberto Di Matteo is true, including that when he takes over, I think Chelsea had just lost 3-1 to one in the first leg uh, to Napoli in the Champions League. Mm. He overturns that result 4-1. to one. They go on to win the Champions League. They bump Spurs out of the Champions League spots. Uh, so maybe that's an extra bonus uh, for him. <laughs> and then they beat Liverpool, as you said, in the FA Cup final. So two big pieces of silverware for Roberto Di Matteo as caretaker manager. He's then made permanent manager and is then sacked and in comes Rafa Benitez to take over as interim manager. <laughs> Hugely unpopular, does not stay after the season, even though uh, several players wanted him to do so. But he wins the Europa League. He gets them back into the Champions League places. They end up finishing third. So I would say R- Rafa Benitez should be on this list. And Gus Hiddink, who had two different spells as caretaker of Chelsea. In the first one, he only loses one game the whole time. Uh, I believe that's the one where they're knocked out in the Champions League semifinals to Barcelona with the draw. But disgrace game, uh, but he does go on to win the FA Cup. In his second stint, he takes over for Mourinho. He gets them uh, six places higher than they had been, and it's the longest unbeaten run for a new manager in the Premier League at 12 games. So I think three different caretaker managers, one of them twice, all from Chelsea, <laughs> all deserve to be on this list. Interim to the interim to the interim yep. regional manager. <laughs> why don't Chelsea just have interim managers? Why, why bother giving on it permanently? That's the question, I suppose. That seems to be what they're kind of going for. Yeah, here. that is the real the title. Per- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I did have uh, one more name, but uh, I've gone through three, so I can probably stop talking for a minute and let other people uh, have some lists. Joe, would you like to be another person? Oh, I'll be another person, Ryan. Thank you so much. Hansi Flick <laughs> is, is one name that I have. Joined Bayern as an assistant to Niko Kovac in 2019 and then was promoted to interim manager after Kovac and, and Bayern separated, is, is one way to phrase that. That was in November of 2019. Was given the job for the rest of the year in December. So he already had a little extension there. And then was given a contract extension until 2023 in April. Now, there's a weird thing here because of COVID-19. And so I don't know how much this affected Bayern's decision-making. And you know we know them as a relatively fiscally responsible club. And the pandemic had already sort of took over at this point in terms of club decision-making and in terms of the soccer world. So maybe they're thinking, you know, let's just keep what we have now. This is not the time for a vast managerial search. Either way, Hansi Flick doesn't make it to 2023. But the fact that he got that extension, I think, says a lot. And the fact that he won the treble that season probably says even more. Won the Bundesliga title with Bayern, won the DFB Pokal, and won the Champions League. And that was the the weird restarted Champions League in uh, in the following year, I believe, or I, I don't remember exactly what that was, but it's sometime in the fall or in the in the early late summer time frame. Either way, Hansi Flick, Ryan, a pretty pretty good interim coach. I'd say so. I'd say so. Graham, what you got? So I only have one left on my list, and it's not Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Zinedine Zidane, who took over from Rafa Benitez when he was sacked in January 2016. I should say it for Real Madrid. He then leads Real Madrid to the Champions League title. He's given the job permanently that summer and the rest, as they say, is history. And he wins the Champions League title two more times before leaving, then comes back, not as an interim, but as a permanent manager again, wins La Liga, leaves again. And um, that's how we got to the point of him being PSG's new manager this summer. Yay! Managerial roundabout about to start up again. Tremendous. Uh, I found one historical one, Graham. Uh, Mario Zagallo, who was Brazil's manager at the 1970 World Cup, wasn't interim manager. Um, Jao Saldana was the the coach just up until the tournament, until three months before the tournament. Uh, He replaced Mario Zagallo, who was the previous coach of Brazil, but Zagallo came back in as interim for the 1970 World Cup. Um, The previous coach, Saldana, had dropped Pele from the team. Uh, so Zagala's primary uh, objective was to just put Pele back in the team and joined by Jairzinho, Carlos Alberto, Gerson, and so on and so on. Brazil won the tournament. That Brazil team in 1970 generally considered one of the greatest teams of all time. Um, Zagala got the permanent job again and was in charge until 1974. He was also on Brazil's 1994 World Cup staff in the USA. Isn't mm. that fun? And, and along similar lines, although the, my suggestion here wasn't successful at a World Cup, but Sir Alex Ferguson was a, an interim manager for Scotland at the 1986 yeah. World Cup. Unfortunately, tra- tragically, actually, actually uh, Jock Steen 
died um, the year before. He had been the Scotland manager and Ferguson takes over on a temporary basis. Didn't go so well for Fergie at uh, the, uh, the 1986 World Cup. Scotland finished bottom of a pretty challenging group, I have to say. Denmark, West Germany, Uruguay. So not, not a, a gimme of a group there, but Scotland didn't win a game. Their only point coming in the final match against Uruguay when they had already been Scotland eliminated. didn't win a game. What an evergreen statement, Graham. Um, I, I, why don't we touch very quickly on the least successful Boo. managers? <laughs> Sorry. I got you, Graham. I got you. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. Um, wait, before you do that, I had one more positive one to mention. Uh, Jupp Heynckes, uh, managed Bayern yeah. Munich four different times. The second one of those was a, was as an interim manager. Um, but it's re- after resigning from Gladbach, he doesn't work for two years. He then takes over Bayern Munich in April 2009 after Jurgen Klinsmann is let go. He had won two titles with them in the late 80s and early 90s, but it had been an obvious uh, gap there, but basically uh, he leads them back into the Champions League places and I think steadies the ship so much so that when Bayern then uh, appoint Louis van Gaal and eventually uh, force Louis van Gaal to resign, is I guess how I'll say it, Jopankis comes back into play, uh, he takes over and that's when he wins the treble. He wins the Champions League, the Bundesliga and the DFB Pokal in 2013. He has one more interim stint, culminating in a title in 2018 for Bayern Munich and then he retires. So he has two di- different interim manager tags. Uh, he wins a lot of silverware uh, for Bayern Munich, and I think the the big one, that treble, comes because of the way he kind of was such a stabilizing positive influence when he comes in as caretaker in 2009. So I think Heinkes, though he wins a lot as the permanent manager, I think as an interim manager, had a lot of success as well. Very nice. That's an excellent one, Taylor. Uh, I'll just, we'll touch on a couple of the least successful managers as well, if we have any nominations here. Mine would be Alan Shearer, at Newcastle United, uh, legendary Alan Shearer as a player, of course, for Newcastle and various others, but, you know, a local lad at Newcastle. Uh, April 2009, 1st of April 2009, it was not an April Fool's that he was brought in uh, to replace Joe Kinnear at Newcastle, that banter error. Remember that, wonderful stuff. Uh, for eight remaining games of the season to try and keep Newcastle in the Premier League. Long story short, he did not, and he has not managed since. Um, yeah. Anyone else, Taylor? Ryan Giggs, maybe? Uh, no, I didn't have any bad ones because I'm focusing on the positive, baby. Oh, maybe we should do the same. Excellent lesson for life there, Taylor. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, Tyrone, for that question. Let's move on to Andrew Thurston, who yeah. says, "How here, yeah, you like this one already, Joseph. How far would the CONCACAF All-Star team, that's the best of CONCACAF international teams, thank you for the clarification, how far would that team go in the World Cup? And let's start, perhaps, Joe, with who would make that team? Yes. Okay. I want to do this. Maybe I'll list my 11. And then if anybody has any gripes, we can change. I think they'll be fairly similar, but my, my starting 11 for this team, and you could have a whole mess of subs too, but I just did the starting 11. Joe, Taylor when Navas. you list your starting 11, I need you to know that anytime that I disagree with you, I'm going to audibly say gripe. Now, okay. I just want you to know that. I think that's a really good way to do this, actually, Taylor. All right. This is, this is perfect. As long as you Taylor Navas it. in goal. If anyone disagrees, I'm not listening to your gripes. Now that's the only one that I won't listen to. <laughs> Center back, I have Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. And maybe that's way too much of a U.S. men's national team lensed answer. Right. <laughs> but I, I don't think there's a whole lot of center back depth in CONCACAF. Taylor, who do you have yeah. at center back? I, I agree with you, though. I had Edson Alvarez and Miles Robinson. So uh, I think that's kind of cheating. But yeah, I'm with you for I like the same it. reasons. Yeah. Okay, Graham, you got anything different? I don't know if you built an 11 or not. I did build an 11, and in my 11, it says, no centre-backs. So uh, <laughs> okay, cool. we can, it's going to be an innovative formation. <laughs> I like it, Grim. Okay, well, then I'm going to move past that. And my fullbacks are Sergio Dest on the right and Alfonso Davies on the left. Correct. Ta- okay, good, good, good. Ooh, that was scary. In my midfield, I have Tyler Adams slash Edson Alvarez as, at the six. Taylor, mm-hmm. I, I assume you just have Tyler Adams there. Makes that pretty straightforward. Always. And then as my two number eights, I have Weston McKenney and Hector Herrera. I'm guessing hey, there's a same. Oh, let's go. <laughs> okay. I have McKenney and Herrera. And then my front three, I did a 4-3-3, keeping it simple. I have Jonathan David as my number nine. Maybe that should be Kyle Aaron, you could argue, based on form. But I do have Jonathan David up there. I have Gio Reyna on the right. And I have Irving Lozano on the left. Chucky Lozano. I'm guessing there's going to be gripes there. I have a completely yeah. different front three. So I had... Uh, did you have Pulisic in yours? No, I did not. Joe, right. Joe so hates I've got Pulisic, Pulisic is what we're slowly learning. <laughs> right. So I've got Pulisic. My, my number nine, despite the fact that... Who did you have at number nine again? I, I, Jonathan I, I David. Jonathan David, of course. I, I don't have much of an issue with that. He's he's a top-level striker, but I did have Raul Jimenez. Totally fair. And, there, and then I had uh, Takatito Corona 
in my front three as well because I like him and I like watching him for Sofia. <laughs> totally uh, Joe, I I had pretty much the same shape as you. I had it as Jonathan David, Christian Pulisic, and then either Tecatito or Chucky Lozano. But I, I now wonder, could we change it up a little bit? Would Would anyone object to if we did a four three one two, made Pulisic play central, and then had it be Jonathan David and Rao Jimenez? Does that give us a, a stronger team, or are there issues out wide? I don't well, think... Well, as wingers. I mean, you're fine because yeah. you have Alfonso Davies and Dest out wide. That's what I'm thinking. I just yeah. don't think Christian Pulisic can play as a number 10 and do a good job. But that's that's just me. It's, it's still a good team. There's tons of talent this, there. Yeah, this is going to be a vibes team, Joe, is uh, the sense I'm getting. So <laughs> let's not put too much tactical thought. My team doesn't have any centre-backs. There it so. is. Yeah. <laughs> How did you fill out the rest of the 11 then, Graham? Where are the, who's... Who, who are these extra players that aren't center backs? Just midfielders and wide attackers. Please, <laughs> give it to us. us. <laughs> give it to us. Run it through real quick. So uh, I have Adams, McKenney, Musa, uh, Edson Alvarez, Hector Herrera, Ticatito, Corona, Raul Jimenez, and Christian Pulisic <laughs> <laughs> with two wingbacks, Dest and uh, Dest and Alfonso Davis, and a goalkeeper. Keo Navas is going to be busy, but I think he can handle it. Oh, yeah. Graham, that's an incredible team. I love it. You've got the, the old zero seven three formation, and I lost track there. Um, okay, I, I think as far as how far this team would go, if we set aside the differences between our 11s, and if we just acknowledge for a second that mine is, is superior and, and we just move past that, I right. think, I think, <laughs> I think this team would do well in a World Cup based off of individual quality. Again, in, in these knockout tournaments, anything can happen and they could get bounced very early on. But if we're just looking at the, the relative strength of this team on paper, I think they get to the quarterfinals, at least. I think this team yep. becomes one of the best eight teams in the world. I don't think they're anywhere near still. I don't think you can make up the ground between CONCACAF in Brazil or, or Argentina or the top European teams. So I'm thinking Belgium, I'm thinking France, England, Spain, Portugal. Italy's not at the World Cup, but I would put them above, but they're not, so I don't have to. I think this CONCACAF uh-huh. team becomes a real threat to make it further. And I say that somewhat cautiously because I don't want to be too biased here. So, Graham and Ryan, I really want to hear from your perspective before it circles back to Taylor. Do you think that's way off base, or do you think this team with the players that we specified, at least some of them, could make a quarterfinal run? Because I, I do. Joe, I will, I will say, I'll read you the FIFA rankings of the top eight teams in the world right now. Brazil, Belgium, France, Argentina, England, Italy, Spain, Portugal. Uh, your assumption there is, I don't doesn't quite work in tournament soccer, but your assumption there is that this team would do better than at least one of those teams. Well, my assumption is Italy is not the World Cup, which is an assumption. It's true. And so I have just this CONCACAF All-Star 11 slotting in for Italy because I don't think on quality that you can make up the difference between the CONCACAF region, even when you stack them all together in the top, top levels of world soccer. You just can't do it. But I think when one of those teams drops out or if one of those teams managers yeah. drop out earlier on in the tournament in the group stage or in the round of 16, and if we assume this CONCACAF team doesn't do that, I don't think there's a whole lot of distance then between CONCACAF and every other team outside of that the, top eight, now top seven without Italy. The way, the way I looked at it, because obviously you could get an absolute stinker of a draw in the round of 16. You could get Brazil in the round of 16 and then you're, you're out at that point. So I looked at it in terms of what would this this team's ceiling be? Like, how far could they go in a tournament? And and I had quarterfinals uh, with making a play for the semifinals, actually. I think they would be kind of competitive around that area. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, Quinto Partido, at least, is what this team is getting. <laughs> and I reject Ryan's idea outright that... Is that how the quarterfinals work in your mind, Ryan? Just the, the top eight teams all automatically go? Well, well that's the last what I was saying. Teams that's what I was saying, though. Yeah, they're no, also going to knock some some others out. They're going to knock each yeah. other out, a few of them. No, that's yeah. how it Including works, England. Including England. It's like uh, yeah, I think I think this team... <laughs> I do think... Broadly speaking, club teams will beat national teams. National teams will beat all-star teams. Uh, so make of that what you will. But I, I think the talent is there. Tell MLS that. <laughs> I, I, I will, but they should know it already because those games aren't always the best. Uh, I think the last time Alfonso Davies was playing in MLS, he was playing as a, I think, a center back in the, in the MLS all-star game. That was an interesting choice. Uh, so I, I think with that said, this team still has enough talent uh, to make it pretty far. And I think individual talent combined with uh, team uh, talent, that they could play as a unit, but I think they also have some individuals there who could make things happen on their own, and that is what you need in tournament play. Yeah. I'd say, well, if we did this all-star team, it would make qualification a lot easier for tournaments as well, wouldn't it? This is true. 
I mean, yeah. we're kind of doing that in 2026. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Andrew. That's a great question. We've got more great questions coming up after this very short break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Here's a question from Ira Jersey. Hey, Ira. Ira says, why is the penalty area on the field so large? It often seems unfair that a foul committed 20 yards from goal with a player's back to goal should be awarded a penalty kick. Would the game be very much different if the box was the width of the goal and 12 yards wide rather than the current dimensions? Or if it was an arch or a circle like in futsal, only larger? Ooh, here we go, gents. Uh, the penalty area is 44 yards wide and 18 yards deep in its current state. Taylor, what mm-hmm. do we think? I mean, there are reasons why it is that size, are there not? Yeah, I mean, I think it started out, I think I'm correct in saying, because we did a 101 episode about the dimensions and the lines on the pitch and what they all mean. I think it started with the goalkeeper was allowed to use their hands anywhere in the half and i'm not sure you even had to distinguish who was the goalkeeper initially then you do and they're within the half then i think there's like a 30 yard box and eventually it's tightened up to what we know today and i understand where this question is coming from because it does seem odd you'll get those moments where a player uh like goes to clear like a defender goes to clear a ball right at the top of the box and then an attacker gets there just before they do and there's contact and you didn't even know they were there and it wasn't intentional but it ends up being a penalty even if it wasn't necessarily a goal scoring opportunity and it doesn't seem like it's fair but ultimately i think if you're going to change it you're going to end up negatively impacting the game because the space of that box allows the goalkeeper to come for the ball more readily if you're tightening it up to say the dimensions of the goal Keeper can't really come for anything anymore, so they're going to stay on their line. But while that might seem like, oh, then that means you're going to get more more goal-scoring opportunities, what it means in my mind is that defenders are just going to sit in more, and if you're making the box smaller, they're going to foul more around the top of the box. Mm. They're happier to give up direct free kicks with a wall in front than have any clear-cut opportunities or uh, potential penalties. So I think what you'll end up doing is slowing the game down and making it just more dull, even as you're trying to incentivize better attacking play. So in some ways, I almost wonder if you opened up the box fully, would you have like fewer engagements because you don't want to risk diving in near the corner flag and conceding a penalty? I think there's an interesting argument to be made that way. Ultimately, I'm okay with the box just staying as it is and maybe uh, policing diving just a bit more. I think VAR helping with that for sure. What if, Taylor, we had... The car- mm. We made the box smaller, as mm-hmm. Ira suggests, but we had like almost like in tennis with the tram lines where there's yeah. an extra box outside where the keeper can handle and the keeper can operate. Is that a compromise? I really liked that idea at first. I saw a few people uh, suggesting that one on some articles I was reading. Uh, and I think then we're asking officials to track a bunch of different lines and know exactly where things have occurred. And maybe that's where with VAR, that's a more manageable thing but uh that would be the only drawback that said i i do kind of like it that yeah there's an area where the goalkeeper can go but it's not necessarily a penalty and then let's take it to the extreme where it's like nba jam style where just stuff pops up and you have to like if you shoot from here in the right moment it counts as three goals why not let's let's take it to the logical extent right <laughs> let's do that indeed graham what are your thoughts on this one and also an iris question is changing the shape of the box to an arch or like a circle i guess more like basketball like field hockey or whatever uh, I kind of like the way it is just now. I do I do understand sometimes it feels like we've lost sight of why the the laws of the game are the laws of the game. And, and I understand that in the penalty box in particular, fouls, you can kind of think, well, the, the, the reward for that um, kind of outweighs the crime. 
particular where was what was the one recently in a Champions League game we discussed and someone got fouled out right by the corner and it was very very minimal and we actually discussed it on the show at the time oh, and said uh, the, yeah. the reward of a penalty isn't really isn't really uh, just for for that crime so I, I can kind of I can kind of understand but when you dig uh, go back and and dig into the history of why the penalty box is the size it is, I mean it makes it makes total sense. It means it means total sense. I found that in terms of why the the why the measurements are used in the first place. Apparently, it's something to do with twenty two yards being a historic measurement used in Tudor England, and it was known as a chain. And once you add ten yards, which is the length of the semicircle at the edge of the penalty box, you add that to the penalty spot, which is twelve yards out from the goal line. The distance from the goal line to the edge of the semicircle. Is 22 yards, which is apparently important for reasons I don't fully understand. <laughs> but there you go. That's the reason it is that way, apparently, according to some article that I found in a history book. So we can blame Henry VIII for abolishing Catholicism and for the t- changing the penalty boxes in soccer? Is that right, Graham? Yes, we can do that, if you like. <laughs> I think the Catholic Church with, would like a word with you about how successful he was in the abolishing of the Catholic Church. I, I like the, the the penalty box as well because, like, I, I I think certain aspects of soccer rules and the the dimensions of the pitch speak to the evolution of the game. And I like when you can sort of see compromises in effect because I'm going to assume that initially they moved it from goalkeeper can use the hands anywhere in the half to maybe 30 yards from goal, I think it was, to then this 18-yard box. But I'm imagining they initially just moved that line back and it was an 18-yard line across the entire pitch. And then there was probably a conversation about like, but if we foul at the corner flag, that's a penalty? No, let's add these two little channels to it. And you can just sort of see how they would have come upon a decision organically. And I am okay with that, even if it then comes down to... 22 yards and chains and whatnot that gets me a little bit confused and now we're into the uh abolishing of religion <laughs> establishing of the church of england i should probably say is more accurate tay tay um joe you've been quiet on this one is that for a reason only because i didn't want to do the history thing that graham did so glad now that we got that out of the way i can say whatever i want i didn't uh, want to do it either no but but here we are um, i agree with i think everything that's been said i don't think Changing the size of the box and especially making it smaller would be a good thing because, as Taylor said, it would congest the game more. It could lead to a lot more fouls in key areas, which I don't think is good for the entertainment side of the game. Defenders might love it, but I don't think it would be good for those of us that aren't professional players and we're just at home watching the game. I am very down, though, for the penalty for fouling inside the box to be less severe. Maybe it's multiple fouls inside the box and on the second one for your team instead of the first one the opposition is awarded a penalty. Maybe it's going back to the the long run-ups. Something that takes the punishment and makes it more fitting for what the crime almost always is inside the box. Mm -hmm. Scoring goals is really, really hard in soccer. We think it's a lot easier than it is. And rewarding someone for being fouled or or, or, uh, punishing someone for fouling an opponent just inside the box and giving them a 76 to 78% chance of scoring a goal is is just not really how soccer works. So if we're going to mess with something, I think we should probably mess with the punishment rather than the size of the penalty box. But the punishment has to be a deterrent, Joseph. I mean, aren't punishments by their very definition all deterrents? It's just a matter of how deterrent you want to be. If they're severe, yes. <laughs> you don't uh, think it's a certain, if, if I want to take this type... further. Joe just advocated for torture, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if it's a certain type of foul, the goalkeeper should do bums up, which is a game that I used to play when I was a kid. Uh, come on, then. What yes. is it, Graham? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. self-explanatory. Oh, the yeah. goalkeeper turns around, they put their bum up, and you shoot the ball at their bum. Oh. Okay, we had a different name for that. We'd, I've done that many times. Very well. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> what did you call it, Ryan? It's not fit for broadcast, actually, Joseph, uh, but I'll tell you later. Uh, thank you very much, Ira, for that question. Yeah. We got on here from Cigar Surimajiri. Uh If there is a soccer player who you would love to... He's asking, is there a soccer player that you would love to see in a different sport that you love? And one you think would be world-class at that sport if he trained in that sport more seriously? E.g., is there a soccer player who could win a Grand Slam in tennis or an Olympic medal in swimming or blah, blah, so on, so on? Um, Graham, what are your thoughts here? Actually, I'll come in with an example, Graham, um, Uh of a soccer player who was very good at another sport or rather good, Paolo Maldini. 
good with both yeah. feet, also good with a tennis racket. He actually has a page on the ATP website with his stats on it. Paolo Maldini in 2017 played on the ATP Challenger Tour in a doubles match. He lost in straight sets. His prize money is $173. <laughs> and that's that's the only match he played, right? He only yeah. played one match. That's right. I did see an interview after that match where he said he would like to play Roger Federer. And I was thinking, steady on. At what? <laughs> that's quite Chess? a jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one match in, lost it in straight sets. Would like to play the best of all time now. Um, I mean, the correct answer to this is Erling Haaland and wrestling, isn't it? That's yes. what he would be good at. And I'm not just talking about the Olympic, the Greek kind. I'm talking WWE. Yes. I want to see Erling Haaland as a villain. You know, oh my God, that's Erling Haaland's music. He runs down the ramp and he just bear hugs his rivals. <laughs> The bear yeah. pin into submission. I like that. That's a new move. Very good. I can't believe how perfect of an answer that was. It makes me angry that Erling Holland is not <laughs> a professional wrestler. Graham, that is a perfect answer. Good yeah. stuff, my friend. <laughs> Should we just Thank stop? <laughs> I mean, like, I have a bunch of answers, but no, genuinely none of them are that good. It makes way too much sense to the extent that I'm surprised it hasn't already happened in the off season. Like, <laughs> Donald Trump has weirdly been a professional wrestler. Yeah, that was that was fun. That was so, a like, Dortmund like, goalkeeper who became a WWE star, I seem to remember. See, as well. there we go. Yeah. These things could happen. Vice, wasn't yeah, it? that's right. Oh man! It, like like random so like David Arquette at once held some sort of like tag team title. I think it like I think that was in conjunction with a movie. But still, so Erling Haaland <laughs> maybe in the off season instead of going to whatever tropical island he usually goes to, maybe he does a, a quick a quick stint in uh in the WWE. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Taylor, what else you got? Uh, I've got a few. So I actually I wonder how many footballers would be very good at darts, even though it seems counterintuitive because like you're not kicking them with your feet. Um, but just the sort of like the hand eye coordination, the ability to evaluate and also the, just the calmness, the poise that's required, like Kareem Benzema. I wonder if he would be very good at darts because he seems to have that ability to process information, but stay very calm in the good moment. Holding your phone steady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, that, uh, he could do, is that a sport too, holding your phone steady? <laughs> you can't pin much on him. <laughs> uh, Luka Modric, I think, could be a world champion pool player. Uh, and then I had two more. Uh, Adairson, watching him yesterday, could be a better version of Taysom Hill, which is a reference that some will get, and I'm guessing maybe only one of my co-hosts will. I got it. There we go. Thank you, Joe. Football. Taysom Hill, uh, quarterback <laughs> slash tight end slash running back for the New Orleans Saints, who does all of those things, none of them especially well. <laughs> uh, and I think Ederson could maybe be a slightly better version of Taysom Hill. Similarly, sticking in the NFL realm, this one seems maybe slightly odder. Uh, but if it like a, a different world in which this guy were taken out of an academy at a young age and moved to the United States and decided, you know what, I want to play football – Thinking about how successful Tom Brady has been, I think about the physical components that he's got the height and the ability, like the size sort of to carry it. He's not particularly fast. I wouldn't say he, at least earlier on, was, was slow either. He can take a hit. He's clutch. He's very smart. He reads defenses. All of this is building towards Sergio Busquets feels like he could be a good quarterback to me. So I had Sergio Busquets as my quarterback. I guess Adairson as his quarterback, running back, tight end, backup sort of option. Modric playing pool on the sidelines and uh, Kareem Benzema throwing darts on the oh, sidelines what? as well. What about McKenney, Wes McKenney as a quarterback? Because that throw-in that he does is not a soccer throw-in, I'll tell you that no, much. <laughs> he, yes, Weston McKinney, I think, could have been a... I would be surprised if he didn't play, like, youth football at some level before switching to soccer full-time. Yeah, he could definitely play some football. Busquets is an interesting choice. He does tend to end up on the floor after every play. So, yeah, um, exactly. He, he's very <laughs> exactly. much used to that. Um, what that's just made me think of Sergio Ramos-Taylor. I don't know if you remember, there was an oh Eagles goodness. game um, during the summer... No, it would have been preseason, I suppose. Um, and Real Madrid were over at the same time. And Ramos came on at halftime of an Eagles game and did a field goal. And it was like his first time ever doing it. And he did a 60-yarder or something. It's on YouTube. But yeah. I just imagine that there's a lot of players probably like him or you know defenders who could really nicely launch a ball 60 or 70 yards, uh, even if it's a differently shaped ball. Um, yeah, it's always fun to see them do that. And then uh, having done this uh, at, for for a D3 college team, so not a particularly high level, but still, uh, place kicking is one thing. Punting turns out the most pressurized moment in a game because you have to catch the ball and then get it in the right position and then kick the ball all before the giant men who want to hit you hit you. Uh, and if you drop that ball, 
it's pretty obvious everyone's eyes are on you. It is a high-profile position, so maybe that's where Ederson could go in, because I feel like he can catch and kick pretty well. And then, yeah, Sergio Ramos can be a free kick taker slash maybe also MMA fighter, because that feels like it would be at home for him, too. Yeah, punting's hard. Just ask Charlie Brown. Um, <laughs> Andrei Shevchenko uh, actually joined the Pro Golf Tour in 2013 after he retired from soccer before he became a politician. He entered the Kharkov Superior Cup in Ukraine. He finished 26 over par and did not make the weekend cut. But he uh, he definitely fancies himself as a golfer. I've got a couple of historical, uh, one historical one, I should say. I don't know if you gents are familiar with the player Dennis Compton. He played for Arsenal in the 40s and 50s, and he was also an international cricketer for England. He played for England uh, national uh, at soccer during wartime as well. He's the only athlete to do both sports at international level. Um, and fun fact, I went to university with his daughter. I was quite good friends with her. Fun times. Of course. Of course, of course you of did. Course, of course I did. <laughs> uh, and one other that I'm tangentially linked, tangentially linked to, um, the British Olympic 100-meter and 200-meter sprinter Adam Gemily, uh, who went to my oh, school. Yeah. Um, he also, while he was at my school, was in Chelsea's Youth Academy, and he went on to play non-league at Thurrock and Dagenham and Redbridge before deciding to run Usain Bolt for his money. So there are... A f- and you know, Athletes can do athlete things, Graham, I suppose. Yeah, and I had a couple other football footballers who have played other sports. So Petr Cech, of course, he played ice hockey for a while in between drumming to Foo Fighter songs in his in his basement. <laughs> and uh, Ivan Perisic um, has represented Croatia in beach volleyball and took part in the 2017 yeah. FIVB Beach Volleyball World Tour, um, which I definitely watched live. At the time, there is a joke to be made here because he conceded a penalty for handball in the 2018 World Cup final against France. <laughs> he he feels like he'd be super good then if you combine those things at the uh, Gerard Piquet sport of keeping the balloon in the air. Yeah, I feel like oh, yeah. he's the balloon World Cup. Yeah. yeah, I think he could win the whole thing. The greatest sport of all time. Excellent stuff, Joe. What have you got? Okay, so I have, a, I have a handful here. First, I want to see Adama Traore wrestle. That could be actual wrestling. It could be WWE. It just feels perfect. Maybe not quite as entertaining as Erling Holland. Maybe more dominant than than that. I think he would be quite good at it. But I would Wait, love Joe, to Joe, see sorry, who is that? Adama Traore. Oh, good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it feels right. That's a good one. I want to see Tyler Adams play point guard. Uh, he played basketball growing up, I know, in addition to soccer, and then eventually had to settle on soccer. But Taylor, can't you just see him being that really ferocious, defensively inclined point guard that is just pestering you all the way up the floor? That's absolutely who I see Tyler Adams being. That's probably helped by the fact that I've been watching my Phoenix Suns play the Pelicans in the NBA playoffs, and the Pelicans have Jose Alvarado, who is not exactly a like for like Tyler Adams in terms of his uh, in terms of what I envisioned Tyler Adams' play style would be. But he is incredibly annoying and frustrating to watch, but also perfect. And I don't know. I think that's Tyler Adams in some ways. I want to see Zlatan do MMA. I, I think that would be great. I'm not an MMA fan at all, but I think seeing Zlatan actually fight and maybe even lose would be just wild and entertaining. Okay, and I know Graham would love that. Yeah, there you go, Graham. And then I just want to see fast soccer players do fast things in other sports. So that's Mbappe. That's Alfonso Davies. That's Akraf Hakimi. I want to see these guys either run track. I want to see them be wide receivers. I, I, I don't know what I want them to do, but I want to see them do even more athletic things because they're just incredible to watch. So that's my very short list. I think Zlatan's my favorite one. Fight, fight, fight. Zlatan. Didn't, um, Zlatan, Zlatan has a black belt, right? Yeah, he's got a Taekwondo black belt, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. He'd be all right. He'd be all right. Mm. Zlatan I, versus the only Conor thing I'll McGregor. You'll have gone mm. tall for the wrestling. And oh, I, yeah. And I feel like if you're going to get into the grappling, that could be a problem. I, I feel like Arturo Vidal tall. is who I want wrestling for me. Who? Mm. Arturo Vidal. What about Power Cube? Mm. Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. I envision him as more like the washed up wrestling trainer that comes alongside the new up and coming generation of, of wrestlers. <laughs> I just can't see Shakiri like actually engage in that sort of physicality. I agree with the caveat that it has to be the case that he has been that role even when he was like 19. Oh, yeah. He's, he's still the washed it. up yeah. wrestling coach who's, <laughs> who's seen it all and done it all even as a 19 year old. Yes. Uh-huh. We could talk about this one all day. Thank you very much, Cigar, for that suggestion. That just about wraps up the show for today. Apart from ding, 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 bonus Graham content. Ding, 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 ding. Um, Graham, we might cut this, but we'll see. Depends how good your answer is. <laughs> Corey Walters asks for Graham, can you give us some background on our broth and why it is they're doing 
what they're doing in Scotland and why it's such a big deal. So, Graham, when you were on your bachelor party over the weekend, I believe uh-huh. you took time out on Friday evening to watch Kilmarnock and Arbroath do their thing, playing for all the marbles. That's right. And whoever won that match was pretty much certain to win the Scottish uh, Championship title and get promoted to the, the Scottish Premiership. So I'm going to try and keep this short and provide some context. So in Scotland, there's a four-tier senior pyramid, but within that pyramid, there is a giant divide between full-time clubs and part-time clubs. It's just the way it is. Scotland isn't a big enough club to sustain 42 full-time clubs, but we still want a full league Pyramid, looking at you, MLS. So we have part-time clubs in there as well. And that divide tends to be between the second tier and the third tier. And it's almost impossible for part-time clubs to compete in the second tier. So a few years ago, a club called Allo Athletic, they stayed up in the second tier for a couple seasons as a part-time club. And that was quite a big story in itself. And I think it's quite unique in European football. Certainly, I I don't see it in English football to have that divide between full-time and part-time within the same league structure. So fast forward, and now you have our broth not just staying up in the Scottish Championship as a part-time club, but challenging for the title, for promotion to the Scottish Premiership, where they would play Celtic and Rangers and Aberdeen and Hibs and Hearts and all those clubs. And it's just something that I never thought I would see. And as as you say there, Ryan, um, last week I was away on a stag do in Portugal. All my friends, we found a bar, we watched Kilmar uh, against Arbroath. And we were trying to compare it to something else, another another soccer fairy tale that we that had happened before. And we, we couldn't do it. Leicester City obviously comes up. And maybe that is the closest comparison there is, but, but they're a full-time club and they have rich owners. And yes, it was a fairy tale, but it's not, it's not quite a perfect comparison. And the best we could come up with was if one of the true minnow nations, so we're talking like a San Marino or Faroe Islands who have plumbers and teachers playing for them, if they were to qualify for a major tournament, that would be pretty similar to what Arbroath are doing right now. Kilmarnock won that game, so Kilmarnock have won promotion. Arbroath have finished second, so they will play the semi-finals of the playoffs, so it's not over for them yet. Uh, and there will be some big games coming for them, and I will be watching those with interest. And they have good pies as well at Arbroath. That's part of the fairy tale. Ah, have you been to Arbroath? Is it near Glasgow, Graham? It's not near Glasgow at all, but I've been to Arbroath many times watching Sterling Albion. I went up there on bo- one Boxing Day one year, and the wind, it's right on the North Sea, and the wind was so bad that the game got abandoned after 10 minutes. I had to drive <laughs> the three hours back down the road, having watched 10 minutes of soccer that couldn't even be counted as soccer. Goodness me. Scotland in a nutshell there. Thank you very much, Graham, yep. for that bonus Graham content. And thank you very much, listener, for enjoying this, or at least I presume you're enjoying this intrepid <laughs> journey with us. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan. Taylor Rocco, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm now in love with the idea of thanking people for enjoying it and then just hoping that they do. Let's <laughs> well, go that route. Yeah, it's very insecure, actually, the way I phrased that. But Graham, no, once it. again, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, we'll be back very soon on the feed, but for now, bye! bye.